that time of week necromaniacs podcast coming at you this week it's me and my good friend mike scandato how's it going mike what's up everybody hope everybody's doing well we are uh, well into the month of march it is springtime and uh, i am I'm looking forward to to the nicer weather it's a really rainy night here in in new york i imagine it is in jersey as well mike yeah that's yeah, uh raining it was overcast all day, you know. Yeah, exactly. But for the most part, it's been pr- pretty nice up here in the Northeast. Um, I have been, uh, you know, watching a lot of cool stuff, listening to a lot of cool stuff. What about you? Yeah, there's been a lot of good things uh, that I've been ingesting as far as media goes. Um, I, there is one really disappointing thing I read over the weekend, which I want to talk about because I was really let down uh, by it. But you know, <laughs> it sounded the reason <laughs> why I was it's like it sucks. Yeah, the reason why I wanted to talk about it because I was so excited about it, just based on the description. I read about it mm-hmm. in um in Room Org, and mm-hmm. they've always been like on point, man. As far as for mo- for the most part, and mm-hmm. uh, they talked about this. Um, the small uh, imprint called Filthy Loot, and it's a book company. And their whole thing is like, uh, you know, everything's inexpensive. Uh, so the book I got was 50 pages long, and it was $8. Okay. And, uh, you know, and, and the, the, the company kind of deals with, like, you know, extreme horror and stuff like that. So, you know, it sounded promising. And the story... I'll just go out and say it. The book is called The God in the Hills by John Stevens. Okay. The God in the Hills. Okay. Now, I read the synopsis. It's like, you know, some remote part of the country. Uh, you know, there's this ancient God uh, sort of uh, scenario going on. And there's like a, a small town that sort of uh, does the bidding of getting sacrifices. So, so it has that whole... Um, you know, it's in, it's in line with a lot of things I think are interesting. You know, there's some kind okay. of like creepy presence up in the woods. You know, there's like a, a group of people that have been ancestrally connected to that part of the, of the, you know, of the world. And, you know, they live on this mountain and they have a town and they're getting sacrifices for this thing. Now, it sounded really cool, right? No, it sounds very cool. Yeah. But the book was fucking terrible. It was like, it was basically about like a, a fucking ape man with a big dick that uh, that rapes and kills like all of these like uh, women, uh, you know, that gets captured by this creepy pervert. <laughs> and I was like, wow. yeah, it, it just after and the, the, it was really poorly edited. There was like typos. Um the writing sucked. It was it was like completely uninteresting, man. But I had I you know I always finish everything, man. Like even if I don't yeah, like yeah. it, I like even if I don't enjoy it, I I suffer through it. So I can say that I've I've uh, you know I've completed the mission. You know, luckily this was only fifty pages long, so it wasn't too bad. The thing is this, hey man, a 
you supported an independent writer, and B, it was eight bucks. So that's that's like lunch. You know, you spent lunch basically. Yeah. You can look at it that way. Sure. Um, you know, on the negative side, well, you wasted some time reading a shitty book. Yeah, it just um, it had such potential. I thought the storyline. Hmm. You know, and um, you know, it, I was expecting some sort of weird fiction angle, like you know, something a little bit more sophisticated than what I got. You know, I mean, you could still have all the extreme shit in there. Just have some, some mm. art, artistry, you know? I think it sounds like it might be like an interesting, like, B-movie, grindhouse kind of crazy-ass indie horror movie, no? In a way, from what you're saying. But on paper, it didn't, uh, didn't pan out. Yeah, I mean... Basically, my synopsis is exactly what happened in the book. There was no, like, there was no backstory. They don't really know, you know, you don't really talk about, like, what this creature is, you know, and I don't know, like, uh, how it's connected, you know, there's like, you know, that it, there were some symbols and stuff, and I was like, oh, cool. It's like right up my alley, <laughs> some fucking weird symbols and like occult shit and like ancient creeps like living in the woods. That's great, you know, but it just didn't deliver. Unfor that's that's unfortunate, Mike. <laughs> yeah. But on the flip side, I started uh, reading a book called Blind Sight, which is uh, an excellent book, mm -hmm. and um, it's got it's by this guy Peter Wa Peter Watts. He's Canadian, and um, it's a hard sci-fi novel, which I don't really I haven't I can't remember the last time I read hard science fiction. So um, me neither. Wow. Yeah, I'm like halfway through it. It's uh. I mean, it has horror elements in it, definitely. Uh, it's a, it's basically about, uh, it's in the far future, and it's about alien first contact in in space. Like they're going, there's like a group of uh, astronauts that are traveling out to the Kuiper Belt to investigate something, and they they come across an alien presence out there. Mm. Really good, really well written. Awesome. Uh, you know, they use that storyline as like a vehicle to talk about like consciousness and, you know, artificial intelligence. It's really cool. Very cool. I mean, I, that's the thing, man. Like I'll, I'll be at like Midtown comics, I'll be somewhere and I'll, I'll see all these very cool science fiction books, you know, like with these cool covers yeah. and these cool titles. And I often go, man, I should just pick one of these up one day, you know? And it's cool to hear that, like, you know, you kind of took a chance and you enjoyed uh, a sci-fi book. Well, I got to give a shout out to my buddy Chris up in Boston who uh, actually recommended it to me. And he, ah. he, uh, he sweetened it by saying that there's a vampire, and there is. So there's like, okay. a, like I said, there's like a, a horror angle. And uh, there is a vampire involved. So... Uh, you know, anyone out there with this is a horror podcast. So, you know, it has a vampire in it. So that's all <laughs> that that's a that's a way to get an entry point, you know. No, absolutely. Um, there's a book I want to talk about that I picked up. I have not begun to read it yet, but it, it arrived in my mailbox about a week ago. Uh, I bought it from the website, the Anya Offensive uh, Metalheads out there might be familiar with Anya, they are, you know, uh, primarily like a black metal, death metal uh, distro and record label. They've put out records by like Negative Plane 
and they have you know they have the uh, the NED imprint in America where they, they sell a lot of the the NED records uh, like you know Watain like the earlier Watain stuff before they went to Century Media, and uh, they always have cool shit. Um, they have a ton of books actually, and and this particular book caught my eye. Uh, it is called Manhunter: The Story of Swedish Occultist and Serial Killer Thurman. Um, so it is a true crime book. Um, the, the immediate byline on the book is something that really kind of grabbed me. It, it's a quote from Thurman. It says, it is completely pointless to carry out a robbery if no one is killed. <laughs> How heavy is that, my kill? That's pretty fucking extreme, man. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. And then I, I got to read the little back, back blurb for the, for the audience, because I, I think... I think we might sell some books tonight. In the 1930s, <laughs> there were a series of robbery murders in the Swedish town of Sal, where the victims were either shot or gassed to death. Gassed. Okay? Oh. Yes. When the perpetrators were caught, it turned out that they were part of a secret occult organization called the Circle of Magic. The Sala Gang, as they were also known, was led by a charismatic hypnotist and serial killer who took on the name Thurneman being an anagram for Manhunter. Thurneman claimed that the robbery murders were related to black magic rituals, that he was in contact with the dark entities on the astral plane. The magic circle conducted seances led by Thurman under the spell of incense made from one of the notorious witch's plants, Henbane, and wherein Thurman used various methods of hypnosis to turn some of the circle's members into willing instruments to do his bidding. Wow. <laughs> what, a, what a story, man. Damn. So, yeah, it's the book is literally only about 150 pages. Um, I'm going I'm to dive in soon. I, I just felt that uh, you and I think some of the readers would be uh, down to check this one out. What do you think, Mike? I'm 100% down. Actually, when we were talking about this earlier, I, I, I peeped their site. I haven't been on. Like, I've, I've you know bought records from them before, but I didn't know about the book tab. So, um, so yeah, mm. I, I, uh, there's a bunch of stuff on there. It's cool. There's, uh, you know, Bardo Method Methodology magazine, which is yeah, uh, yeah. awesome. They got back issues of that and collections. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's fucking cool. Yeah, it is very cool, and I, I think I, I saw some some Lovecraft stuff on there, and it's just you know really like esoteric kind of bizarre, off the beaten path stuff uh, in the reading side, and of course he has as you know uh, you know black metal and death metal, um, you know more of the, the underground stuff, uh, you know that I think some of our listeners are, are definitely in tune with. Um, on the music front lately aside from you know my 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 exodus and manila road haze i've actually been listening to some newer stuff um you heard of enforced mike the thrash metal band i i've uh i'm aware of them but i don't really like too much new thrash music um uh, well these guys are quite good um they're from uh virginia they're on Century Media now. Actually, The Last Stand, my my hardcore band, played with them and Strife two oh, years cool. ago, believe it or not. And um, 
I, I thought they were quite good then. But, uh, yeah, they landed a deal with Century Media, and they just put out a brand-new record on Century Media called Kill Grid. And it is definitely, like, uh, Sepultura, Exhorter, like, the brutal Slayer kind of, like, thrash, you know, like, the heavier side of the house, let's just say, not the happier side of the house. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> you know? that's, that's, like, why, like, I, I feel like, uh, you know, the – initial thrash explosion there was a lot of pizza parties going yeah this is this is definitely not pizza thrash um it's not you know a, a 53rd thousand ripoff of the bay area sound this is like more grit i think okay so i'm checking that out and um the other week i was a guest on a podcast called i am vinyl and um they do a series of like kiss retrospectives and uh it was on uh music from the elder Mike. oh dude that that's like one of my favorite kiss albums yeah so i gotta i gotta send you the info about this this podcast we did um yeah I, i'm a fan of this record I, I like it a lot um you know this podcast has covered a bunch of different eras and albums but you know we've kind of gone in in order my buddy uh pete larusa does it shout out to pete um and yeah, everybody pointed out how many good songs there were on this record and how, yes, it was kind of a failed attempt at a, at a concept, but in that failed attempt, they still have some bangers on there. So uh, I've been listening to, to Kiss, like the, the trifecta of odd Kiss records, Mike, which are Dynasty, Unmasked, and The Elder. And I have to say, I like all three of those records. <laughs> I mean... I I fuck with Kiss, man. Like I, I uh, you know, they're like an old, you know, a band that like they're just classic, a classic band, you know. Especially if you grew up in a tri-state area, you know. Oh yeah. New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Kiss, along with Twisted Sister, are like one of those bands mm -hmm. that you just have to listen to when you're a kid, you know. I just think there's such an important New York City band, Kiss. Honestly, I mean, Gene and Paul were the were the Queens guys. Ace was. From Bronx and Peter Chris was from Brooklyn as a Brooklyn guy. It's just, I don't know. I mean, I think I'll always have love for kiss and uh, yeah, it was kind of, it's kind of a fun podcast to do because I am the, I'm the non obsessive, like kiss fan. Like I do it with a bunch of guys who are really into kiss. So I'm like the every man kind of fan. And I give my little every man perspective on it. So it was kind of fun. Yeah. I mean, you know, our good friend Paul from Black yep. Anvil is one of those guys right. who's like, you know, an obsessive Kiss fan, which is which yeah. is cool. You know, I mean, I'm, gave, I'm not obsessive uh, about him, but I like him. You know, yeah, I gave I gave Paul a shout, and I mentioned uh, Black Anvil's great cover of Under the Rose, which yeah. made me, which actually I almost credit uh, him and the band for having me reevaluate music from the Elder about six years ago. So yeah, man, shout out to Paul. Yeah, totally, man. And, uh, you know, other, like, unsung Kiss records, you know, uh, Creatures of the Night, that's a good yep. unsung record by them, you know? Mm -hmm. Totally, yeah. That was their return to, like, kind of kicking ass after after the three oddball records. So, yeah. 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 What have you been listening to, Mike? Actually, uh, I, for one reason or another, I've been on this, like, deep appreciation of Mayhem's de-mysterious Dom Satanus again nice nice and um i mean i you know obviously that's that's that is a classic record you know in the black mm -hmm. metal world but lately yeah. 
something just came over me, man. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to put this record on. And then I listened to it like on a daily basis for like the last week. And, um, you know, I like, like last night I, you know, I took a little, little break from, from working and walked down to the coffee place and I had this blasting that record in my headphones on the way down. I'm like, yeah, this is like, Oh yeah. Fucking rad, you know? Well, I mean, I literally have three different vinyl versions of it and I have the original century black CD. So I'm a fan, um, you know, yeah, totally, man. Um, and I, I gotta say, man, the last mayhem record was Jesus fucking so great i the, thought the last two i thought were great mm, yeah um but no that record is is super awesome and like i actually picked up it's funny you mentioned that uh, a couple of weeks ago i got uh this this picture disc that came out which are attila's rehearsal tapes from the session right before they went in to record it oh man Nice. Um, we pressed it onto picture disc. I could, I'll send you the. I think you can still get it. Yeah. They made three thousand of it. I actually got my copy from Season of Miss Distro, but oh. Season of Miss didn't put it out. They were carrying it, and it is so fucking good. It was recorded on like a. I don't know if it, you know. It doesn't sound like it was recorded on a boombox, but it was recorded pretty you know ghetto as they say. But it sounds really good, and um, yeah, it's basically I guess you could say pre-production for Demisterius and it's very solid. There's a couple of differences though. There's a couple of vocal delivery differences, a couple of differences in some lines and some you know, there's some some definite differences if you if you know the record. So, it's cool to have. I I got I got to get that for yeah. sure. And uh I just picked up the first two uh Maiden Maiden records on vinyl, which um Nice. I, over the years, uh, I had them on m many different formats. You know, the cassette, of course, was my preferred format when I was a kid. Mm. Uh, CD, compact disc. And um, <laughs> finally, I got them on vinyl because they were just recently uh, reissued. And uh, I've been rocking the first Maiden record uh, featuring um, Paul Diano, my favorite Iron Maiden oh. singer. I have a nice uh, 180 gram vinyl copy of uh, of the, the debut. I got it about six years ago, and it just sounds so cool on vinyl. Like you know, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, totally. Something about the piano era on vinyl is 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 quite key to me. <laughs> and um, one thing that I know both of us watched recently was the uh, the Justice League four part four or four hour epic that's on oh, uh, yeah. HBO Max. So what do you the think Snyder of that? Cut. Yeah. And I, it's funny, man. I think like this year plus buildup to this thing, right? And all this time, honestly, I was I was always kind of saying, and I was having a conversation with my brother John of the wonderful Break the Apocalypse podcast, by the way. Um, I got a little plug for my brother there. That well, how different could this be? Like, I mean, why why is everyone so excited about this? Why is this such a big deal? Well, <laughs> let's just say <laughs> there's there's a reason that everyone is kind of freaking out and why everyone was so excited. It's a ten times better movie, Mike. Would you would you agree than the original? I mean, it it stands so far above all the other DC films. Mm. You know, I, I, it really does. Like I I got to be honest. Like I I'm not I, I'm not a big DC comics reader. I like uh, Batman. 
You know, I yeah. like uh, the Teen Titans. I liked, um, mm-hmm. you know, Warlord. You know, like that's an old school title. Um, right, and, and You're I Marvel, like Marvel guy. Yeah, yeah, and I, I like all the Vertigo stuff they did. You know, Swamp Thing. You know, cool. Hellraiser, a Hellblazer rather. Uh, I'm a You're Marvel not- guy, so I was like. I, the only reason why I wanted to see it is because Zack Snyder was involved, honestly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it totally, uh, fucking, is awesome. totally blew my mind. Like, it's like exactly this thing. It's exactly how you want to have those characters presented to you. Mm. You know what I mean? It's just, look, there's different. If people are wondering what the differences are who haven't seen it, um, Let's just say, okay, the music is different. The there's different scenes. There's some additional different characters. There there are things that happen in it that obviously did not happen in, in Joss Whedon's version. I mean, it, uh, Joss Whedon's version was, I believe, two hours and change. This is four hours, uh, so it is quite different. Because uh, I've seen some people go, well, you know, well, you know, what's the big deal about it? Um, Things are really fleshed out. Characters are fleshed out. You get you get better. You get like Cyborg just gets a way better treatment. I think um, I didn't find him all that interesting at all in, in, in the uh, first original Justice League. Um, I came away really liking him in this one. Same for Aquaman. I thought Aquaman. Look, I think Momoa is awesome. But he gets, I just think everyone gets their kind of just desserts in this version. Do you think so? Yeah, well, the, the scope the scope of the movie is, like, tremendous. I mean, it's like, it, it goes into so much backstory and depth. And uh, I was really stoked about Cyborg, too, man. Like, that, that you know, was a character. I th- Wait, actually, was he ever in the Justice Leagues? I remember him as being in the Teen Titans cyborg. Yeah, no, he was not. This is a, you know, it's a, it was a decision to put him, you know, in the Justice League a few years ago in this, the Snyder verse. Yeah, no, he was not. Okay. That's why I wanted to establish that first, but yeah, um, everything was great. I, I, you know, I really, believe it or not, the character, the Barry Allen character, I found really interesting as the flash, you know, that was another yeah. surprise for me. Cause I was never really that interested in the flash really. As a as a DC guy, I'm gonna say this though: what what they've done with Barry Allen in the in the film world, I don't like because it is literally nothing like Barry Allen the person. Yeah. Um, but I do understand. Like my brother John and I, John brought this up to me. They were like, Barry Allen is funny and a little goofy. Because the rest of the team are these super intense heavy hitters, and you cannot have an entire team of intense heavy hitters. You need Barry Allen. You need a character to be like that. And I'm like, yeah, you're 100 percent right. <laughs> you know, you like, kind of like you fill can't the have role the whole team of Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. Like everybody's like, you know, like the heavy. Like everybody's like this brooding, like you know gods and goddesses and like these icon kind of people flash is the younger and he's just you know he they needed that blood and they chose flash to be that blood like basically what do you think yeah he was kind of like the peter parker of uh of the of the justice league you know what I mean? right it's like if you had spider-man it's you know i mean once again using my like you know i'm way more 
down with the Marvel universe. But yeah, he reminded me of like a Peter Parker style, uh, you know, irreverent sort of guy, you know? Mm-hmm. No, totally. And some Wonder Woman fans were even saying that they just like the way she was portrayed in this almost as much, if not more so than in her own movies, actually. Um, because as much as I, I love the first Wonder Woman, the second Wonder Woman I have some problems with. Like, I always thought it was kind of weird, you know, <laughs> like the beginning of Wonder Woman 2, it takes her 25 minutes to foil four, like, robbers. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I thought that was kind of weird. She's a goddess. Like, you know what I'm saying? She's She's like the female Superman. And it literally takes her almost 25 minutes to take out four schlubs, which I thought that was a little bit of a weird intro in, in the second one. I don't know. But in this movie, it's like you really, just, I don't know, you get the scope of everybody. Yeah. And uh, apologies to the horror fans who don't give a rat's ass about this. But Zack Snyder has, you know, he has his roots in horror. So. <laughs> yeah. All, all in all, it's, it was great. And. I'm I'm glad I watched it. I remember like I set aside like an evening to, you know, Thursday. Actually, yeah, the day it came out last Thursday. I was like, all right, tonight I'm going to come home, be home at 8, and I'm going to watch it between 8 and midnight, and that's it. That's what I'm going to do. And it was awesome. Oh. You know, I just like, uh, you know, I got a brand new couch, so I'm like just chilled out on my couch, put the, put this on, and I just like went for it. You know, it was awesome. Yeah, that's great. And and without spoiling it, there's an epilogue that is just, I don't know, as a DC fan, I was just like screaming at the TV in excitement. So that's that's all I'll say about the very end of the film. <laughs> so for tonight's episode, we're, uh, we're going to get into some uh, an older classic film, Dead, yep. and Bur- Dead and Buried. Yeah, from uh, 1981. A year that seems to be following this podcast, Mike, because uh, yeah. this is literally the third 1981 film in the last few months. Uh, of course, uh, The Black Room being one of them, and uh, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, a.k.a. Night Warning, was also from 1981. And oh, real quick about uh, Butcher Baker, it is now on uh, Shudder. So uh, a lot of people were, you know, had asked where they could see it. It is on Shutter, and and apparently a lot of people are digging the hell out of it. So uh, yeah, a, a feather in the cap to this podcast for covering it, Mike. Yeah, yeah, I got a, I got a bunch of messages about people who were who were uh, commenting on on how much they enjoyed it, and it, it is a fucking oddball kind of <laughs> kind of movie, and it's not for everyone. But I'm glad people are enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, 1981, Dead and Buried, another kind of. No, I'm not going to use the word underground. This was in theaters. Another kind of understated, underrated horror movie from that year. So understated that, you know, I got to be honest with you, man. This is the first time I'd ever seen this movie. Okay. Now, we share that in common. This is a movie that I've always wanted to see, been very aware of, but for one reason or another did not get around to seeing till now. So the listeners are in for a treat because this is like new territory for both Mike and I covering this movie, even though we are huge fans of the director, Gary Sherman's 
Vice Squad, which we also covered here on Necromaniacs podcast last year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he he also did a uh, Deathline too. That uh, raw, aka Raw Meat. Yes. Now that is also on the short list of movies Mike Scandato needs to see, and I will be seeing. Uh, oh, he's dude. he also directed uh, Poltergeist Three, which I've seen, and he directed this movie from 1989 called Lisa that I remember renting in like 89 or 90. It was like one of those movies like Angel, Lisa, and there's this movie called Whore, believe it or not. Like all these movies that when I was a teenager that had these box covers that were like my friends and I, oh yeah, we're renting this. Like it was one of those movies. Like I don't remember Lisa, but I, 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 I've seen Lisa. Isn't it kind of funny? Remember those kind of movies, man? Yeah, because you're at that age where you're like super aware of of women and and you know you're you're like really like aware of that kind of stuff and there's all this tension so you want to check out movies like that oh yeah there were there were like immediate rentals just just based on the box cover alone uh i i want to see if lisa is streaming anywhere you know just to, to to revisit it but uh yeah this movie i tell you man had a very cool kind of Tales from the Crypt, EC Comics vibe. What do you think? That's exactly what I was thinking. Especially, uh, like there there were moments in the movie where I I visualized it as like like those kind of like payoff frames in an old horror comic. You know? Yes. Yes. Like it's funny. Like the big opening scene, which, by the way, my God, this opening scene is really like disturbing yeah (laughs) um but it reminded me of comic books that i would read in the early 80s as a kid like horror comics that literally like kind of scared me a little bit you know like uh twisted tales and shit like that you know sure (laughs) but that i felt like i probably shouldn't have been reading but i was reading anyway that's really what this reminded me of so it was kind of like a nostalgic feel at times for a movie that i'd never seen yeah, uh, that's exactly the like the '70s black and white. Like aside from EC Comics, which are much earlier than that, but in the '70s there was a ton of really good horror comics, like black and white, like eerie, creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there was another comic book, uh, black and white, that was called Macabre. I don't know if you Macabre. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, that man, I, <laughs> it's funny because I remember. Um, Back when I was a kid, you can get comic books at like, uh, you know, like a pharmacy and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like the magazine rack. They had like a spinner. There'll be comic books. Sometimes these like eerie and creepy would be like in the magazine yeah. rack. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I got uh, when I, I, I don't know. I was young and I got a copy of Macabre. <laughs> and it was like, I'm reading this as a kid. I must have been like 11 <laughs> maybe. And I'm like. I don't know if I should be reading this, but I feel like I, I felt like I was too young to be reading this comic book. And That's how it felt about Twisted Tales, which yeah. Bernie Wrightson did a ton of for, a ton of stuff for. Uh, they had these covers, man. Oh my god! I'd be in the comic store in Cheapside Bay on Nostrand Avenue, but you know, buying Batman and Secret Wars, and then I would see these Twisted Tales covers, and I would be like horrified. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now I have a bunch in my collection and I, and I kind of cherish them because I, they give me those memories. 
But um, yeah, man, this is a, this is an interesting flick. Um, May 29th, 1981 was the release date. Uh, like you said, directed by uh, Gary Sherman, produced by Robert Fentress, Robert St. John's, and Ronald Shusett. Screenplay by Ronald Shusett. And I'm going to put an asterisk on this one, Dan O'Bannon. Um, Dan O'Bannon, uh, a lot of you will know that name from Alien. And, uh, you know, ho- host of other things the man has had you know, his name on. Um, and on the poster for this movie, it says... The creators of Alien bring a new terror to Earth. Okay. However, <laughs> it, it, it came to light that Dan O'Bannon disowned this movie and claimed that Robert Chusett had actually written this whole thing by himself and just pretty much used Dan O'Bannon's name on the project. Um, and that's pretty much, well, appears to be what happened. Upon seeing the finished film, O'Bannon realized that Chusett, uh included none of his material, but they just kept his name. And it was too late to take his name off of any of the credits and promotional materials. Uh, Dan O'Bannon said this in 1983 in Starburst magazine while promoting the movie Blue Thunder. And he said it many times over the years. So, uh, yeah, isn't that kind of wild? Yeah, that is pretty funny. It's kind of crooked too, man, you know? Oh, yeah. But, you know, it's pretty ballsy, though, for these guys to, you know, to to, to put from the creator or whatever of Alien when it's like, no, he actually uh, had nothing to do with this movie. Yeah. (laughs) We didn't use any of his uh, material, script, or any of his ideas. Hmm. Um, It has uh, special effects by the great Stan Winston. Um, And I got to tell you, this movie has some some real violent scenes. And, uh, yeah, Stan Winston is you know awesome awesome work here yeah winston Winston did a bunch of shit he uh he was involved in the terminator predator Mm -hmm. he did work with alien jurassic park yeah he's like uh an og with, with the effects world for sure totally um it's funny uh as far as the cast goes uh, uh, one second here. I'm gonna go a little weird. Uh, 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 what is it? Oh, we have uh, James Farentino, uh, Melody Anderson, Jack Albertson, Dennis Redfield, Nancy Locke, and a man by the name of Robert England. Uh, in one Young. of his earlier appearances, yes, as one of the townsfolk. I'm sure you caught that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I recognize him right off the bat. You know. Also, oh, I want to mention uh, that Lisa Blount is in it, um, and you you'll you'll she plays Lisa, oddly enough, and uh, you'll you might recognize her from Prince of Darkness and uh, um, Op- yeah yeah and uh, Officer and a Gentleman. She was in that um, that movie with uh, Richard Gere. That's right, and Melody Anderson had a big career in, in like soap operas and stuff. And she was also in Battlestar Galactica. She was in uh, the Flash Gordon movie from 1980. Um, she was in Firewalker with Chuck Norris. So, yeah, she's she's been around. <laughs> um, the opening scene, like I, I alluded to uh, a moment ago, 
it's just like there's a, a photographer on a beach and he's approached by this very pretty woman and you know they start talking and then it just the the, the townspeople kind of appear and it just i don't know man i thought it was just so jarring because i wasn't really expecting it you know and they, they start beating him into oblivion and they tie him up and they set him on fire it was like whoa like you know kind of wild <laughs> yeah they they kind of kick things off with both guns blazing in this movie you know and mm. uh yeah that scene the scene was like I don't know, because like I said, this is the first time I saw it. I was like, all right, we're starting off nice and soft. We got like, you know, Lisa Blount, you know, she's like, uh, takes her clothes off and, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, the guy thinks he's going to be getting some action, you know, on, yep. uh, on the beach there. And on then the he just gets yep. beaten down by these like sketchy like townsfolk. Yeah, a mob of townspeople beat him and set him on fire. But he survives the attack. <laughs> and he's, you know, they take him to the hospital. And, uh, yeah, man, just wild. Um, it takes place in the, the coastal town of Potter's Bluff, which is supposed to be on the East Coast uh, in New England. But the, the movie was, uh, you know, shot entirely in California. Um, uh, supposed to take place in, like, Rhode Island. Um we meet Sheriff Dan Gillis, played by James Farentino. James Farentino from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, I have to say, I, I looked him up on Wikipedia, and wow, that, that guy led, led quite a life. He died in, uh, in 2012 at the age of 73, but he, he had like four wives, and one of his wives was uh, Michelle Lee. Uh, beautiful actress from like Knott's Landing in the seventies. Um, I was looking at all the wives and they were all these like knockout women. And then his former girlfriend was Tina Sinatra, the youngest child of Frank Sinatra. And back in 1993, he was arrested for stalking her. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> wow. What, 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 like this wild, like womenizing, crazy life, uh, James Farantino. And I never really heard of him before actually uh but he did a ton of tv and he did a bunch of movies um you know kind of looked like a 70s 80s everyman kind of guy apparently quite a big hit with the ladies michael i i he looked really familiar but i um i think he most i mostly recognized him from like late 70s early 80s tv yeah he he was in the movie the final countdown and he had a stint on dynasty uh, he did nearly 100 television, film, and stage roles uh, from in his life. Uh, but yeah, he had a very recognizable face. But uh, yeah, loved the lady. Married like five times. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he you know he has uh, his his wife and he has. Oh, hold on a second here. Sheriff Dan Gillis, assisted by Dobbs, the eccentric local corner mortician. Now, Dobbs is played by Jack Albertson. It's funny. I got, like, the, the vibes from him, like the Angus Scrim, like, not like the physical Angus Scrim vibes, but like the, like the character, like the, the, like, you know what I'm saying? Like this kind of, like, guy who, who's like the sinister guy in the town vibes from him, you know? Yeah, and also his de the delivery of his lines were were kind mm. of like uh, 
like old school in a lot of ways. Like he was like, yeah, see, it's, uh, you know, he had this like very, <laughs> very like old school, like forties way of doing his lines, you know, which I, which I was, um, it took me out of it a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But you, you could also tell that he's, he's kind of like hiding stuff. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like he kind of knows more than what he is leading on. And he's just, you know, a, a way about him that it's like the cat that ate the canary kind of, you know what I'm saying? Well, well, yeah. I mean, the whole the storyline revolves really around these two two guys. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. uh, and I would say uh, you know uh, Gillis's wife too plays a huge part in this um, this old drama that's going on in the town here. Exactly. Um, basically, people start getting murdered in the town. <laughs> Also, and, and these crazy townspeople, especially for 1981, I have to say that the effects were spectacular. I have to say, yeah, they really were actually. Um, and as the townspeople start murdering everybody, they keep photographing them, right? Um, and and they keep repeating, "Welcome to Potter's Bluff." Like it's almost like they're robotic. Would you? Say? say in a way yeah they the people that get killed start appearing you know in uh, in mm -hmm. in the town as towns folk you know and um one of the really the creepiest parts of the film have to do with the the, the film actually that uh da gillis's wife has because gillis's wife is a teacher right and she has this like Canister. Melody Anthony. Yeah, she's got this uh, this little film reel, and she's like, uh, "Oh yeah, uh, bring this down to get developed or something like that, right?" And and um, which that there's a lot of really there's a lot of like kind of holds in the plot, but the movie mm -hmm. is like like something like that. You know, I don't think that she would entrust him with um, you know with, with getting this thing developed. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. Uh, his wife, uh, Janet, is a school teacher, and there's a scene where he he, he goes to, to you know to check on his wife, whatever, in the school, and he's watching her teach the kids, and she's teaching the kids about like voodoo and death and weird, like he just he sees like this other side of his wife that it, like, kind of like makes him like huh like what the hell's going on <laughs> you know yeah. um, and. Uh, Gillis accidentally he, he hits someone with his car following an attack and on the grill of his car he finds twitching severed arm of one of the accident victims uh, who attacks him and flees with the arm uh, and then he scrapes some of the flesh off the vehicle and brings it, brings it to the local doctor uh, and the doctor does a, you know, a tissue sample on it and it says that this arm has been dead for four months and Gillis starts to grow really suspicious of the, the Dobbs character, who's, you know, the local mortician and conducts a background check. And he finds out that, of course, Dobbs was dismissed uh, back in the day for experiments in the county morgue. What a surprise. So th things just start to unfold and the, the wife's behavior is getting odd. And, and, you know, our hero, Sheriff Dan Gillis, is, you know, getting wiser to, like, what the fuck is going on in my town and uh you know he accuses uh you know dobbs 
for uh, turning his wife on to like the dark arts, you know, and of course yeah. he's like, he's like, how could you uh, accuse me of such a thing, you know? And <laughs> it's like, I take offense to that uh, sheriff, you know, and like, um, yes, yes, I do. I take offense, and and um, he plays the, he plays like old timey music a lot. It's just yeah. really weird. I mean, the movie touches on, on a bunch of different things, like small town terror being only the tip of the iceberg and voodoo. And then of course, you know, zombies. Um, and I think that's why th this movie now has gotten a, a, a lot of love and like a lot of like new eyes upon it because in a ways it's actually quite original. Do you think? Yeah. Well, the zombies are like these weird, they're not like uh, modern zombies, you know, even, even mm -hmm. though this movie came out in 1981, they're, they're more like the old school voodoo zombies that um, happened prior to Night of the Living Dead. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yes, the wife alludes to that, actually. There's a great kind of a line where she's talking to her students and she's talking about how, you know, zombies don't walk like this. And she kind of imitates the Night of the Living Dead walk. And she says something to the, along the lines that they could be, you know, perfectly normal or whatever something like that so yeah that's actually really interesting that you said that mike um you know uh gillis uh sheriff gillis confronts dobbs uh of course you know mentioning thing about the wife and then dobbs just basically comes right out and says that yes he's developed a secret technique for reanimating the dead and that basically <laughs> all of the townspeople the entire town are reanimated corpses under his control and that Dobbs, you know, calls himself an artist who uses the reanimated to murder the living, to just create more corpses for him to keep creating his art with. Um, and this is an old movie and it is from 1981 and, you know, uh, we're going to spoil the movie. Okay. Right. Yeah. Mike? If it's, it, it's within that, that range where I think it's okay to spoil this film. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not a new movie. 40th anniversary. Right, exactly. Uh, we find out that, of course, uh, the wife, uh, Melly Anderson, is indeed a reanimated corpse herself. And Gillis is, like, shocked. It's kind of like a really kind of, like, you know, sad kind of fucked up scene because, he, you know, he can't believe that his wife is one of these people. And he's, like, yelling and screaming and blah, blah, blah. Uh, he starts to shoot his wife. And, you know, the wife goes into the cemetery where she pleads with him, please bury me in an open grave. And he, he buries his own wife and he's really distraught. It's kind of a really fucked up scene. And then the rest of the townspeople just come over and they start to just pay their respects. It's just kind of like a really odd. It, it's kind of like Night of the Living Dead, but not really. It's got, it's, like I said, it's got its own original stamp on this whole thing, Mike. It's very eerie. that And, like, I think that... Um... From the scene where they, where they, where, where the sheriff actually sees the film that his wife has, from that point to the yeah. end, it's almost like a totally different environment for the movie. The whole feel of the movie becomes very eerie and kind of unsettling. I, I found, and almost like better. Like I feel like I, I might might have wanted a little more of that. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. Gillis uh, goes back to the doctor's office, and discovers that Dobbs is, is using, you know, he's kind of touching himself up. And then Dobbs shows uh, the, 
the film of of his wife, you know, sleeping with some random guy and then stabbing him to death. And the film goes on and the man turns over and it is Gillis himself in the film. Uh, basically, the entire movie, the entire time, Gillis himself is one of the undead. I have to say, that was kind of shocking. I didn't think that was coming, Mike. <laughs> no, I tried. Like I said, I... You know, similar. Both of us. This is our first time seeing the movie, and and uh, I tried not to read about it. I mean, Rumorg just did a big thing about it, and I I didn't read it because I didn't want to. I didn't want to know about the plot. You know, and and uh, the film was fucking creepy though, right? Like the the black and white like snuff, yeah. oh, snuff yeah. film that they made, basically. <laughs> it really did. I mean. This movie has a lot of cool things going for it. Um, yeah, it, it gets a little hokey at times. And apparently Gary Sherman at one point intended for this to be a horror comedy, like a, like a legit horror comedy. Hmm. Um, I do not think this is a horror comedy. You know what I'm saying? But no, no, it doesn't play like that. Moment. Right, right, right. Um, I mean, this this isn't, you know, Fright Night or Return of the Living Dead or, you know what I'm saying, anything like that. Um, it just has some hokey 80, early 80s moments. Um, and I wonder if it, I don't think it would have been a better movie if it would have went more in the comedic direction. I actually like that it has these more kind of darker, sinister vibes, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I would have, uh, I, it could have went darker. I mean, the whole, the story is very dark. It reminds me of something I might have read in Macabre. You know, especially the ending, you know, like really unsettling. Um, you know, that film, The for, I, I keep, you know, sort of like meditating on that film, man, where it's like you're it's like a black and white, like silent film of a, a basically mm -hmm. a, a murder. It's like a snuff film of your wife. And then you're getting then it turns out that you're the one who's getting stabbed and killed and you have no recollection of that. Yeah, and it's like yeah. so fucking heavy, man. I mean, it's just I don't know. I feel like it probably got lost in the shuffle in 1981. In 1981, there was the avalanche yeah. of horror movies and slasher movies, so many. Um, because this movie ultimately only made like 216 grand at the box office, but it is now a cult hit. So you know that happens a lot of times. It happens in so many of the movies we cover here on Necromaniacs podcast. Um, and I mean, hell, it has a 75% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is which is kind of interesting. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Rotten Tomatoes, but it, to me, I always feel like it's, it's interesting to see what horror movies get on there, you know? The 75% surprising to me for this film, because that doesn't, this doesn't strike me as something that would do well with, uh, with, with Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I mean, but like I said, it's it's I don't know. It has this nice air of originality to it. It brings something different to the to the zombie angle, voodoo angle, and like the the small town terror vibe, which I, I kind of dig. Um, so what would what would you give uh, Dead and Buried in our scale of one to five? I'm gonna give it a three point five because, uh, like I said, I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, it's it has. Um, it's flaws, but I will probably continue to uh, rewatch this movie at some point, you know? 
Hmm. Uh, it's funny. I, I, I'm going to go with you on your 3.5. I didn't want to go four because I wasn't over the moon for it because I do know some people that really love this movie. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, people have been singing its praises for a while, actually. Um, it's worth seeing. Everyone should see this movie uh, uh, if you haven't seen it. And like I said, it has some cool things going for it. I just wasn't super jazzed on the fact that uh, if I would watch it a bunch of times over and over again, you know, I'll, I will watch it again at some point and I would check out the extras. Actually, I would be very inter interested to see some behind the scenes shit or some interviews or some more tidbits about it and more about the, the O'Bannon debacle and, you know, maybe the, you know, things like that. Um, I like the fact that it has a very early Robert England appearance and that, that there is a, uh, a character named Freddie in the movie. So that's kind of, kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I don't have the Blu-ray. I think I should, I should check it out. I think I would get the, I think the Blu-ray is something. If there is a Blu-ray, although there had, there I get, there has, yeah, there is. Yeah. There is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Actually, um, this is on Tubi as well. In case anyone out there does not have shutter, which is currently running this movie as well. If you have Tubi, you can watch this for free with commercials. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, Tubi's so great. I, I, it's funny. I, I need to look and see if there's like some kind of ultimate listing of all the horror on Tubi. I mean, I'm sure there is somewhere, or the current horror, because there's a lot of hidden gems on there. Not, not even just horror, like weird '70s shit and yeah. you know, westerns and stuff like that. Well, you know what? Um, for a uh, an episode of uh, Everything Went Black that I'm recording uh, this weekend. Uh, Randy and I are doing a G.G. Allen episode. And um, Tubi has hated and that brand new, the Allens, that brand new documentary. Wow, about. They yeah. do? That's yeah. great. Hated is great, man. Oh, it's a classic, I, I saw Hated at the, you know, I mean, I, I, in the theater, I saw it at Nighthawk with the director, the guy who did The Hangovers. Uh, that Tom was Phillips. fun. Yeah, Tom Phillips. Phillips. Yeah, man, that was really fun. Um. And yeah, I watched all those Allens and stuff. Um, wow, see, that's how, how would you even know that was on there? It's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I just uh, on on a whim, I just typed in Gigi Allen into uh, the Tubi search engine there, and then both of those films came up. And then I watched the documentary about Sid Vicious and Nancy Spungen after that. <laughs> oh, a new one, or I don't, I don't know if it's new, but uh, it seems like new-ish. Like it came out in the last few years. Okay. I mean, you know, the, it's not a very that that's like the new movie about the movie. Really, a new movie. Yeah, there's. Uh, I I saw a picture of the dude playing. Um, what do you call it? Sid Vicious, actually, not Sid Vicious. Uh, Johnny Rotten, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's something new right now. Huh. Uh, it might be on TV. Actually, it might be on one of the services. Believe it or not. Oh wow. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, God, there's, look, there's a lot of content out there and there's, you know, like HBO max. It's funny. Remember a while back, the listeners might remember when we did our, our expose, so to speak on all the streaming services, so much has changed even since then. Um, like HBO max has, I don't know, 20 times the content from then to now, you know, and pretty much all of the services do it's, it's just so uh, amazing and just very hard to keep up with in a way 
Yeah, I just, I, you know, it's one of the pandemic things, man. It's just like, I think that since everyone's like, you know, home, <laughs> they, they needed to beef up what they had, they're offering people, you know? Oh yeah. And the fact that like some of them are free, uh, is, you know, shit, very enticing. Makes you want to stay home more. Oh, um, for the listeners and for you, Mike, it is Danny Boyle's Sex Pistols TV show, actually. TV He's directing. Show. Yeah, it's for television. So, yeah, that's cool. So it's going to be um, like a mini series about the Sex Pistols? Yeah, yeah. Pretty oh. sick. Uh, FX series on FX. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. I got to say, I'm not a, a big uh, Pistols fan. but uh no. Nah, you know, I it I know it sounds sort of blasphemous, but when I was getting into like punk rock as a kid, I I I uh I kind of didn't really like them, man. I was um you know, I love the Ramones, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I love uh you know, the Clash and all those bands, but the Pistols never did it for me. You know? It's funny. I like them more than their music in a way, if that makes any sense. Um the thing is, like, I really like Johnny Rotten a lot. And I like, uh, you know, like, everyone in the band has the, had this, like, personality. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Steve Jones um, is sick. I love Steve Jones. Like, Steve Jones is, like, hilarious. And, like, he's just an interesting guy. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, Sid Vicious died super young. And you just, there are things, you know, uh, all that could have been. You know what I'm saying? And he has this tragic story and blah, blah, blah. Of course, he was a terrible bass player, but that doesn't even matter, you know? Um, but coming up with, like, punk and hardcore, like, I, the guys that got me into this told me punk was dead. So I had to really kind of find the Sex Pistols later. Like, I literally was hardcore first. And then in my early 20s, I started loving the damned, the Sex Pistols and the Clash. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> I, yeah, I totally. skipped. I, I went in a weird way because of the way I came up. Like I came up in like CBGB matinees. And yeah. in the 88 CBGB matinees, punk was not cool. You know what I'm saying? It was yeah. like skinhead or straight edge or that's it. You know, it was just kind of different time. Um, so I had to find that a little later. And the Dan became my absolute favorite of the three, and they're still my favorite of the three. So, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say that, that I definitely like the Damned more than than uh, the Sex Pistols, but I, they, they just never really seemed like a real band to me, I guess. And and like for me, it was <laughs> like I was, um, you know, I, I was into metal and rock music, and then then I got into punk, and then I discovered hardcore. Mm-hmm. But but uh, I don't know, like when when the when Obviously, I was too. I was. They were already dead and gone by the time like yeah, I got into yeah. them. But like mm-hmm. I was, you know, reaching out and getting those first few records. Um, I guess like the punk and hardcore stuff was kind of at the same time because I was the same time I was listening to like X and the Ramones and stuff like that. I was also listening to, um, you know, Circle Jerks and Black Flag and Suicidal mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But. I guess, like, if you think about, you're listening to suicidal tendencies and uh, did you know uh, DOA and Black Flag and then the Ramones and all that. Uh, the Pistols just don't they don't hold up against those bands really. No, they they're really 
their rock and roll. Like, right. like honestly, like what the Ramones and the Sex Pistols had in common was that they both were what they set out to be a return to rock and roll because rock and roll was gone. It was all about the Eagles and ELO and just Fleetwood Mac. And like, they are the, they're the response to that. They're going back to the fifties in a, in a in new garb. You know what I'm saying? They didn't look like fifties people, but they wanted to go back to the fuck you. This is new music. You know what I'm saying? But it's based in old music. Um, and that was so far removed from American hardcore punk. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's so different from Circle Jerks and Black Flag, and even from uh, later on, you know, the Chrome Bags. It's just quite different, you know, I think. Yeah, no, it is, definitely, you know. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I'm just talking about how I, what I, what the, I everything got it presented to me at once, kind of, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I acknowledge that the Ramones were from the 70s and that Black Flag was from the 80s. And, yeah, you know, no, and totally. I knew the chronology. But, you know, when you're, li say you listen to Damaged by Black Flag and, and then you mm -hmm. listen to, like, Los Angeles by X or something like that, and then you put on, mm -hmm. like, never mind the bollocks, and it just there's no comparison. There's no, they don't even yeah. stand a chance, you know? It's different. It's just, it is very different. It's It's completely different. Um, but it's just kind of, it's all part of the story, you know, yeah. everybody I think in our world or people who came up listening to, to this music has their story and like their, their chronology and trajectory. And it's always fun to hear people's, how they found things, you know, um, it, like by the time I started really loving the damned, I was also ensconced in black metal, so it was just so funny. Like you know, sure. it's just how how you find music. Like wow, and like with with horror, like horror was before all of it in a way. You know? Oh yeah, man, horror, definitely. Yeah, horror was before everything. Horror was during the Black Sabbath, Iron Maiden, and Motley Crue days. Like that's the horror began there. I mean, you know, shit. Well, I I, I think I told the story about. My earliest memories are being in a drive-in with my parents yep. at the Exorcist. So that was exactly, man. You know, it's, and, you know, yeah, it's part of that. That predates everything. And then, you know, after that, probably the Night Stalker, like the Colchaks, night, you know, Night Stalker is like, yeah, definitely like an early memory for me. And then also the scarier Twilight Zones, like those were always like mm -hmm. one of my my favorites, really. Yeah, and then I have this weird memory of this show that was on for a single season on abc called the dark room the dark at the beginning room. of the 80s the dark room yeah it's, I, I could literally find it on imdb i think jack palance hosted it and huh. it, something about it the music and just i don't know it just scared the living crap out of me but i never forgot it the dark room was i think it, it was on literally one season was it like an anthology show or or yeah Mm -hmm. Those are always yeah. the best, man. I love those. Oh yeah, totally, totally. Shit that just st sticks with you forever. <laughs> those anthology shows rule because anything can happen. You know, like the characters aren't going to be coming back. You know what I'm saying? So it's like mm -hmm. literally anything can happen, and anything is up up for grabs. You know? Yeah, that's why I think I, I enjoy those to this day. It's like, especially if they're really well done, you, you don't have to like, 
I mean, you have to pay attention. Don't get me wrong, but you don't have to be as invested and, you know, it, it makes it almost more fun in a way, you know, the dark room, it's the story, <laughs> the dark room. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to pull it up on, on, on IMDb. Um, because I mean, it's just, it was literally one of those one and dones, you know? Huh? Well, I was telling you about that, uh, the Damien, um, TV show. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually it's pretty fucking good, man. I gotta say, <laughs> but it only—it was literally the guy who wrote it had this big grandiose, and, and it ties into the Omen films too. So it's like they have like, um, you know, there's like flashback footage from the films. So mm. it's like definitely part of the licensing of that. You know what I mean? And uh, it didn't make it past one season, man. And I was like. Damn, it was starting to really turn into something, and you know, it's wow. never continued. Uh, yep, just found it, and what a surprise! Guess what year it was on, Mike? Nineteen eighty-one. Nineteen eighty-one. Anthology horror thriller series along the lines of Twilight Zone and Night Gallery. Each fe- each week featured a new story and a new cast. It was not Jack Palance. It was hosted by James Coburn, who was oh, actually man. creepier than Jack Palance. Um. Yeah, dude, it was uh, it was one season, uh, 81, 82. Mike, this show was good. It was sick. Huh, I gotta. I wonder if it's streaming anywhere. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to look it up and see. It was along the lines of Tales from the Crypt and Night Gallery. Um, yeah, I never forgot it. I think it was because uh, Coburn scared me a little and the way yeah. he talked to the camera and the way <laughs> like, it was just something about it. <laughs> it was just unsettling. Um yeah, man. The early 80s was was a wild time, as I always say. <laughs> it, you know, it really was, man, when it comes to, like, just, like, art, music, TV, movies, you know. Mm. Yeah. All right, folks. All right, man. This was, this was a fun time. Yeah. Um, episode uh, 74, man. We're getting there. We're getting to the big 7-5. We're going to hit the big 100. I Someday can feel it. we will do 100 <laughs> episodes. <laughs> someday exactly yeah. but uh thank you all uh to our great listeners thank you all for checking us out uh be sure to subscribe to our wonderful program wherever you're listening to us and uh we love all the instagram feedback please you know keep it up tell us what you're enjoying and uh spread the word right mike that's right all right guys we'll talk to you soon take care see you next time